I'm citing you for 11 miles over the speed limit and reckless driving. Hell, that's a $100 fine. Surely is. Well, hell, it was worth it. What was worth it? That gal in the XKE doesn't have any pants on, man. I took a look down and bingo, there it was. There what was? Didn't you hear me? She doesn't have any pants on. No panties or anything? Nothing. Simo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Hey, g'day Redman and g'day folks. Welcome to episode 13 of the Thong Slappers. Good old 13, unlucky for some. How are you, mate? Hey, g'day Simon, number 13. Yeah, it is. Let's call it 12A. Yeah, that could work. That could work, definitely. Actually, mate, I've been busier than a horny chihuahua at a wig factory. <laughs> that would be a sight to see, wouldn't it? Be <laughs> fucking busy. Yeah, that's right. Hey, have you noticed lately the big thing in the um, old guy car scene is to wear those like hats, but they're actually, funnily enough, it's a hat. It's actually like one of those, um, what do you call those hats where it's just like a visor, a visor, that's one, and it's got like the spiky grey hair on the top, so every bald person like me, like wears these things, so it makes it look like you've got a head of hair, have you seen those up your way? Is that like a starter's cap, you know, they call them a starter's cap from the Olympics, you know, the starters wear them and they've got the top out of them, like you say, it's like a, just a visor. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're similar to the ones they wear at the casino. I haven't seen the, the old guys wearing them, but I think when it comes to thong slappers, you and I are going into a competition with absolutely no weapons. I've got red hair, and you don't have much at all, so fuck, man. We're under. Let's not talk about hair for fear of having that fucking um, content. <laughs> well, that's a good point. And on top of that, too, those visors we were talking about with the hair that it's kind of yep. part of the top, just don't wear one ever, okay? No. Let's just leave it at that. Enough said. All right. I reckon a sombrero so you can get away with uh, drinking tequila. Hey, what do you call a Mexican whose car got pinched? I don't know. Carlos. Oh, God. I just walked straight into that one. I even held the door open for myself, didn't I? <laughs> Bash your fingers in the door just to make the joke mm, feel better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's painful as slamming your cock inside a car door. And I'm talking <laughs> no, like... Well, it- like an XB hardtop with worn hinges, a big heavy clunker. One man's pain is another man's fucking and punching, isn't it? Well, that's right. And the response to fucking and punching has been really good, mate. So I'm just giving you kudos again. I don't know how you're going to back it up next time, but I'll, I'm sure you will, for sure. No pressure. No pressure or anything. <laughs> no, we'll find something. We're going to probably put a... Um, the next one up will probably be a... a um, what's the thing called in the back of street machine? The articles? LOL. Um, gasket. Oh, yeah, sure. Blown gaskets. The next, one, the next one will be a blown gaskets. I'll say I'm just going through to find a few. Ah, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, Red, just before we kick off with a Convoy review and your special movie review, I just wanted to list a few movies from 1978 which might be close to your heart, okay? Yep. Superman, Grease, Halloween, Animal House, The Deer Hunter, Every Which Way But Loose. Do you remember those movies with Clyde yeah. the Orangutan? Attack yeah. of the Killer Tomatoes and The Driver. So that's a pretty good list of movies. That's just from 1978, right? And locally, probably a movie I remember. It was actually a movie called Blue Finn. It had a guy called Greg Rowe. He was the Australian actor who played the kid in that. And I remember this is actually the first movie I ever saw at the cinema when I was like five was Blue Finn about a, you know, it's a bit like kid and his dad uh, had like a um, fishing trawler and they go through a storm and a few other bits and pieces. But Greg Rowe was actually the kid who was in Storm Boy with David Gulpilil and that uh, penguin, yep. Mr. Percival. Does that yep. ring a bell? Did you, did you see all that stuff when you were a kid? Mr. Percival? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was probably what was the some of the I guess the biggest movies on Australian shores anyway at the time. But um, yeah, no. Getting on to that, Convoy, mate. That um, just can I just agree? That Deer yeah. Hunter, Deer Hunter. I recently rewatched it. Fuck, it's a gut wrenching film. Talking about cinematography or whatever. Oh yeah. yeah. Fuck, it's a gut wrenching man. It takes a bit to watch actually. For it was it's fuck. It was hard to watch to be honest. Oh man, you know that. That roulette scene's pretty full on Russian roulette or Laxette roulette in your house, but that's you're and pretty full on scene. The Superman, Superman film, anybody who's ever briefly even touched or just had a little bit to do with bodybuilding, anybody who's like in you know, a different stage of my life I've been into or been out of it, Christopher Reeves, man, fuck, I think he's the, the go-to guy. They point to before 
you know, a lot of the commercial products are available when they talk body shape and body size. Yeah. Like he was pretty, yep. pretty perfect for Superman, wasn't he? Yeah, no, it was another great film from that time. So that's cool. Hey, as we've been promising, actually, you know what? Calling this episode 12A is probably a pretty good idea because we promised Convoy in episode 12. And 12A is still 12, but we'll stick to, you know, 13. So, Red, mate, I've been looking forward to this for ages. It's time to talk about Convoy. I'm like everybody else. As soon as you hear that um, marching beat drum at the start of the song, you know that. Ding, ding, you know, that, I think it's snare drum, isn't it? As soon as you hear that, it's like, right, we're on. Let's do it. It's a, it's an iconic song as well. What's the go with the two versions of the song? Look, I think the second version was basically written later, almost, I guess, as a prelude to perhaps a, a follow-up movie. For those that don't know, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions about Convoy is that the song came after the movie, but the actual movie itself is based on the song. Uh, C.W. McCall, who wrote and obviously sung the Convoy tune, he actually released that quite a few years before the movie was made. So I'm not too sure what the goes with the second one. I'm thinking maybe is a... You know, I don't mean to say this sounding bad, but kind of maybe perhaps riding on the coattails of the success of the first one, he decided to, I guess, do a follow-up version, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, just a commercial cash-in. Nothing wrong with that, mate. If ever I wrote a song, I could commercially cash-in, and I'd sell the fucking thing to vampires to get money for it. Well, I guess that's the thing. One good song, you could be set for life, couldn't it? Well, it wouldn't be as enjoyable as changing fucking dozer transmissions on night shift. <laughs> oh, Actually, man. I was actually playing my guitar this morning. Fuck, it's a spiteful instrument, man. I'm going to throw the fucking thing in the pool. <laughs> you should. It seems everything in your household ends up in the pool. Is it like <laughs> your laptop? Your, your lawnmower, man, he just must have like his own cash converters at home now with all this crap he just collects out of your pool stacked up in there. Uh, so it's, it's like a catch-all for everything. It's... um. Well, I'm getting back to the stock of having dead cars around the place as well. When Queen Deborah first moved in, when we, we got married a few years ago, she goes, mate, I think 11 cars, we might start to get rid of some. Ooh, so yeah. I, I got it down to about two or three, but it's just slowly starting to build up again. Look, at the end of the day, mate, when you're paying a mortgage, you're busting your ass doing whatever you need to do to have a house, you got to have what you want to have. If you want to have a dead car in the yard, have a dead car in the yard. Just call it yard art. That seems think, to be, the, you know, what it is. And I think I worked it out. It's 1,500 weekly repayments. Oh, God. That's just depressing, isn't it? I know what you mean. Anyway. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah fuck, this is just too, too good. Oh, right. Hey, let's, let's talk about tits, baby. Oh, and let's just talk about convoy. And I mean... It was just there, you know. <laughs> when you're young in the 80s, the only chance you get to watch Convoy really before VHS, you know, video cassettes and video stores was when it came on TV. And I used to find that Convoy would be played, say, on a Saturday night, usually in conjunction with either Jewel, you know, that movie, Steven Spielberg's first big movie, Jewel, with that dirty-assed Peterbilt chasing um, Dennis Weaver in his Plymouth Valiant. Have you seen that movie? Oh, you have to see that movie. Yep. Jewel. D U E L. Oh, Jewel. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you were saying Jewel as in my wife is a jewel. Yeah, no. Um, oh, no, that'd just be all the snot still up my nose. This this flu's hanging on like a shit that won't snap off. So, yeah, that's all that'll be. So I've just got the Aussie nasality going on. <laughs> yeah, no, Jewel. So, no, What's the shit that doesn't snap off? <laughs> 
You know, if you go to the toilet and you're pushing, backing out a power nard and it just won't snap off. Uh, oh, you probably drink too much alcohol, so you probably haven't done a solid shit uh, since like 1994. Man, I'm a power shit. I say, I'm going to the toilet, I come back and bonk guys, go, would you have that in your fucking pocket? <laughs> I don't sit in the toilet. I don't know how people can stay in the toilet. Like, Nigel takes bull, takes the street machine and then reads it. I'm like, do you flush? Like, do you do this shit then flush, flush it away? Or do you sit there and let it bake in the bowl? Like, yeah, soak in the, the aroma. Out of all the seats in my house, the toilet is my least favourite. It's the most uncomfortable and smelly. Well, I guess it's a good point. I mean, I, I too, I just don't have time to sit there for an hour. Usually, as you know, I'm usually just texting you anyway. So <laughs> it's all good. Hey, um, so yeah, back to Convoy and back to being on TV. So it'd be like a Saturday night double. You'd have, say, Convoy and Jewel as in D-U-E-L, or you'd have, say, Convoy and um, Bullet with Steve McQueen with that awesome car chase. It'd always be this sort of combination of cool movies they'd put on a Saturday night, usually after Hey Hey It's Saturday, if you were lucky. But it's funny, my dad would watch a lot of these shows with me when I was a kid, and it was only in years later that I realised why. Like, he'd always watch Dukes of Hazard with me, and I sort of thought, oh, that's cool, you know, we'd hang out together watching Dukes of Hazard. It was only because of Daisy Duke. Like, as much as he loves Crisis and Dodge Chargers, it was Daisy Duke. That was why. And the th- same thing with Convoy. I'd nearly put money on it that it was because of Ali McGraw, you know, in the Jag. So that whole opener of that movie, like, I don't know about you, but I still get goosebumps when it starts. You know, you've got the, the sand and the, the blowing over. Then you see this, this black Mac R series start to come over the rise, and it just sounds so awesome, too. I love it. I love it. So I guess for those who haven't seen Convoy, it basically the whole story comes down to the life of two people, right? That's the main focus. Of course, you've got Rubber Duck or Martin Penwald, who's played by Chris Christopherson. And he's a truck driver. He's got a really cool black Mac. He's just living on the road, doing his thing. And it's also Sheriff Lyle Wallace, like Dirty Lyle, who's played by Ernest Borgnine. I can hardly speak. And... You know, it's funny, like, as much as these two guys are, I guess, arch enemies in a lot of ways, you can just see they have a respect for each other too. Like, if you strip everything apart, they actually have a respect for each other because they're probably very similar people. And the thing I always find with that movie, it's like Rubber Duck, like Chris Christopherson, he kind of plays almost like a reluctant hero. Like, people get on the bandwagon, of course, there's this convoy, like, people, you know, get on board, but... He soon learns that using the convoy to push agendas, that really he's not interested in at all. And he, you can sort of see him just wanting to break away and just do his own thing. And for him, it's all about like people and his mates. And I don't know, I, I just find when you watch that movie, you can just almost see, it's, it's done really well, the way they make it, where he's like this leader of a group of people, but they're pushing an agenda that really doesn't interest him as well. So... I don't know, I find that really interesting with that storyline. And especially too, it's a real mix. Like as much as it's an action movie and a drama, it's got that cool, you know, that typical 70s, I guess, comical element that's, um, I guess, very prevalent in movies of that time as well. You know, there's all the silly little things that happen which are a bit of a laugh. Not slapstick humour, but kind of elements of silly humor. And I, when I say silly humor, I'm not meaning I think it's silly. I'm just sort of choosing the word silly as a genre, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like the goodies and like that kind of, oh, God, goodies is more slapstick. But I think it's interesting what you say. Ernest at the very end of it, ah, uh, spoiler alert, Ernest at the very end of it, <laughs> when, he, when he finds out the, the final thing about Duck, you know, right at the end, when mm. he smiles, it, a hero... And the lore is as old as fiction itself. It's like the, the very crux of any story, isn't it? And it? It does play off well in that movie, like a duck versus a dirty lie. But then at the end, there's just that little moment where he smiles, where Ernest smiles. Yes. So that, that you know, what happens at the end, that's kind of cool how it, it plays off like that. It's as I, very old as fiction itself, the outlaw in the lore. I think so. I agree, definitely. And I think the thing is, by the end of it, they realise that they're just two fish swimming in like a, a madhouse pool. Like, when they see all the crap that, you know, is unfolding before them, they just kind of realise that they're just two fish in this something that they can't control, and the best just to sort of focus on their own lives, I think. With Tim, Theo, he's got, his, he's got the followers of the Condor. Have you seen Life of Brian? Oh, not Money for a bike. long time. I do remember it. I haven't seen it for a long time, though, yeah. 
that's like his followers as well, you know. And like Forrest Gump, even in Forrest Gump, he's got his followers. It's the same kind of theory there. It's like, you know, life of Brian. What shall we do? Just fuck off. How shall we we fuck off? Exactly. That's exactly right. And there's a couple of really good lines in this movie too that I I kind of, I guess, sum up the movie uh, in one go. I quote, hang on, no, I don't. Oh, okay, I'm going to start that again. There's a couple of very poignant lines in this movie, I guess, which back up what it is I'm trying to explain. Perfect example, like Melissa, that's a chick in the jag who's got no yep. panties on, right? She says she says to, to Duck, they're all following you, and his instant reply shoots back as, no, they ain't, I'm just in front. So he's kind of like this reluctant guy, you know, like just the spearhead of this crazy campaign that's happening with all the trucks. And... um. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's sort of, you just, like I say, it's, it's the cringeworthy element from him which sort of sets him apart. And, of course, you see right at the end, you know, when Spider Mike, <clears throat> he gets arrested and put in jail, how the duck leaves the big, you know, where they have that big camp. Le- duck leaves the camp to go and retrieve him because it's about his mate. And then the people who follow on and join him, are, are, you know, the first few people who actually came together to form the convoy. So... I don't know. Look, for me, Chris Christopherson, okay, primarily he's a uh, a music star like country and western star and really, you know, famous singer-songwriter. This would probably have to be the movie of his career. And there's some other, I guess, fantastic um, roles and stuff in there and, and well-played stuff. You know, like, straight away, Spider Mike, he's actually played by Franklin AJ. He's a stand-up comic. He's been a comedian for years. Are you familiar with his his work? No, but I can just let me write that down. I always write down and stuff. Say his name again, please, mate. Franklin AJ. He plays Spider Mike. He drives that red, you know, diamond T. Yeah, I, I, know, I know exactly who you mean, mm. but I just didn't know that was your name. I'll have a look at his stand-up. It's funny, you know, my mate Mike Davis. G'day, Mike. He, we've called him Spider Mike for years. It's funny, people <laughs> who know just know and they get it, and people have no idea, like, oh, why is he Spider Mike? Like one Get word, convoy. Yeah. I uh, obviously I am a truck mechanic. I done my apprenticeship as a truck mechanic, which means as a 16 year old, you turn up to a to a workshop. It's funny the how they used to dissect it. It's like anybody that has anything to do with something technical, they like to dissect. Oh, that film, you know. And they're all see all the trailers are bogies, so they're like bogey axle trailers. Yeah, American style, of course. 18 yeah. wheeler. Yeah. Yeah, that's 18 wheeler. That's right. Australia, right from the early days, we've been about road trains and so everything. When I started my apprenticeship in. 1831 Every, everything <laughs> everything was all uh triaxle already by then so that was the biggest whinge about oh i fucking don't even have triaxle trailers you know I, I remember that being a definite whinge but i'm like have you mm. seen chris christopherson in the fucking thing <laughs> the thing is too is like his truck's got a bull butt well it's, it looks like a bit of water pipe but you know what i mean that's obviously something that isn't common over there either whereas over here every second truck or every you know two out of three trucks have bull bars so there's those extra elements but i think probably in this movie a couple of things that are just i still like i say i get goosebumps when it starts one of my favorite scenes is when dirty lyle you know he gets on the cb as cotton mouth and he's saying the road's clear <laughs> for the guys to wind it up and these you yeah. know so you've got you've got the rubber duck You've got Big Pen and you've got Spider Mike start, you know, really cranking the speed up. And they're doing like 76 or something, 76 miles an hour in the 55 zone. And that scene where, oh man, like I say, it gives me goosebumps. And I watch it over and over. You see, as they're hooking along, there's a scene where they've just come flying around this corner and seeing it front on. And you see the black mat come down. Then he's obviously on the CB telling them to bring it down, bring it back, like back down through the gears. Uh, I just love that scene, hey. It's like that it's one of those good. things. It is. Like, it's just so many goosebump moments in that movie. And, um, like, I remember this is, you know, how emotionally attached I got to this as a kid. The first time I ever saw Convoy, I think I was like seven or eight. And right at the end, where he's trying to cross the bridge into Mexico. Yep. And for starters, Ernest Borgnine on a machine gun is right at home, obviously, with his history of war movies. Yeah. And,. He's going across the bridge and you've got like the, the angles of the drive line, like you see the tail shaft and all this, you know, action happening. And when the truck blew up and it went off, I remember as like a seven or eight year old, I was like crying. I was just gutted. <laughs> I was gutted that yeah. this Mac was destroyed and, you know, the duck was supposedly dead, you know. It's just funny. 
funny how things like that, you know, hook into you when you're young. It's good riding. I mean, the uh, to, to get a bit technical on it, them old Macs, for someone I've kind of come up more through Kenworth, they're a fucking arsehole to work on. They've got like a triple counter V, a triple counter shaft V-shaped transmission, which means underneath when you pull it out, it doesn't have a flat bottom. Yeah. So when you yeah. put the transmission, it's, you put this fucking thing on your creeper. When you've either got to have the, <laughs> you've either got to have the Mac gearbox tool, which nobody had. I'm talking this the fucking 80s. You need a Mac gearbox tool, you build the fucking thing. But they got a Camelback suspension, which is a fucking arsehole. When like I'm a 17 year old back then, and I'm 110 kilos, six foot, so I'm the guy that gets the, to do the bolts up on it. They had a funny kind of setup in the Jake brake to work on. Obviously, any Mac mechanics system is going, oh, they're fucking good. But for me, they were the absolute – it's like working on an Escort when you're a Holden mechanic. You yeah, know what I mean? okay. Yeah. Everything was so backwards on them. But then in, in about the 90s, Mac truck really went through like a, a big change. You could get a Cummins engine. You could get a Road Ranger gearbox. You could get Eaton Diffs, a Rockwell front axle. And I worked on some of them when I was at – actually, I won't say their name because it didn't end well. <laughs> When I, was, <laughs> <laughs> when I was working for a certain company in you know Melbourne. you want to fuck man the story. no you don't have to you don't have to sorry, yeah, the story so no I'll, tell it, I'll tell it one day how i got the ass but um so they really changed their trucks to be a lot like uh a lot more like a kenworth or even a ford a ford truck was a great thing mate the ltl and the l9000 but anybody working on them old max either was it just a mac mechanic or a fucking patient man eh? yeah okay right but I guess visually, that whole era, you know, like 1978 through to the early 80s, a black Mac R series just became the truck of choice for me. Not that I obviously owned one, because I wasn't even 10, but as far as you had the Rubber Ducks black Mac, and you had in Mad Max 2, you had Mel Gibson, I'll drive that tanker. And you know what? It was a black Mac R series as well. Like, they just were so in our face in two such iconic films. How can you not love them? You know, mechanical hey, um, issues aside. Oh, well, mechanically, there's pro- probably other guys out there screaming at the fucking radio saying you're a fuckhead, Redman. That's probably true. But tell the, tell the listeners, anyone new to the podcast, anyone new to Thong Slaps, tell them the story about the Mac badge in Disturbia. <laughs> okay. Okay. Actually, that's a really interesting point. So pretty much when I was a kid, and actually, you know, this is 1983 when I wrote this note, like this letter. I wrote a letter to Custom Vans and Trucks magazine that was um, run by Eddie Ford, who, of course, produced Custom Rodder and still produces restored cars to this day. I wrote a letter when I was nine telling Mr. Ford how I was going to build this Custom Valiant panel van because I was obsessed by panel vans. And one of the things I listed, all the modifications I was going to do to it, and one of those modifications, I wanted to put a Mac Bulldog on the bonnet, right, on the nose comb. And the reason I wanted to do that was purely because of my love for black R-series Max after having, of course, grown up loving Convoy and Mad Max 2. So that's where that came from. But it's sort of funny when I actually built that van, and the van is pretty much exactly as per my letter except for the wheels. I just couldn't go the Chrome 12 slotters. Um, there is actually a throwback to that Mac Bulldog because in the interior in the back, I've actually got a Mac, like an original kind of... Um, Oh, what would you call it? It's like, a say, a Mac Company ashtray, which is a nice milled kind of yeah, right billet on. bowl, which has the Mac Bulldog in it. And a good friend of mine, Kimberly Park, she actually works at Mac, and her and her partner, Ed, they actually gave me a brand-new Mac Bulldog also as a birthday present for my 40th a few years ago. So it's, it's cool to have that stuff. It all stems from the movie Convoy and Mad Max too. Sweet. Yeah, that's a... Uh... Good little story about that. I, I giggled when I I read that uh, article in Street Machine and I read the little insert where you put you want to have a Mac badge on it and stuff. I just oh thought, purely every- from these movies and just growing up loving Mac R series trucks and the guy over in Western Australia who builds a lot of the uh, Interceptor Coupe replicas, the black yep. Mad Max Interceptor Coupe. He actually uses an R series, a black R series. He's done like this truck and convoy, he uses it as a road train. But the only visual difference is he's got massive tanks, of course, like big fuel tanks on it, so he can actually go the distance. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's a great thing. If I ever saw that in person, I'd just be this blubbering mess on the side of the road, weeing myself, you know, I just just instantly turns me into an eight-year-old. Apparently, there was an executive in Kenworth at America, Steve Mundy told me this when he went over the first time in about, I don't know, 1990-something, and this executive that worked at Kenworth had a T650 Kenworth, which is a fucking heap of shit, but he had that 
with an 8V92 in it, a single drive rear end and a step side tray on it, like single drive. Yeah, yeah. How cool would that be? That would be awesome. And you know what the thing is too, just, oh, look, I know as the years go on, things change and blah, 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 and emissions and all the boring stuff. I just miss, I miss the sound of like two-stroke diesels and stuff like that. I don't care whether it be like in an old Dodge truck or a freaking Greyhound bus. You know, you'd be sitting behind these things and they'd take off and they just sound awesome. Like, yeah. The, the crazy thing about that, if we just explain this for any of our, hopefully, our, our Gen Y listeners. So I was talking about the 8V92 and the 6V92 truck engine, bus engine. They are a two-stroke supercharged, turbocharged engine. Yes. A lot of the times they're turbo and supercharged and two strokes. So just get that in your head when you hear the thing, you know, GVM or we hear it 50 ton taken off the line or something, as we would have, it would have been as common as seeing a HQ Holden. Mm. What that must sound like, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I definitely. Look, there's a fantastic video I'll try and post up on our Instagram page of a Dodge 700, this truck that's been restored. It's got a 6V in it. And this guy with the Jake brake coming back down through the gears up to a stop sign and then taking off up a hill. Again, it's like just a goosebump maker. So I guess it might be a, a case of small things amuse small minds, but I don't care. It's awesome. Loud, so. loud things amuse loud minds too. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, you know, a couple other little, I guess, trivial bits for Convoy. Madge Sinclair, who plays Widow Woman. You know, the yep. um, African-American lady yep. in that? She's one of my favorite characters in the movie. Some of the shit that comes out of her mouth is awesome. And um, there's that scene where she rolls her Brockway. She comes she comes into that intersection too hot, and she rolls her yep. Brockway over. And she hops out to saying, you know, oh, you know, she should have bought a black truck and all this sort of stuff. And she turns to those brothers in the Peterbilt. She says, come on, let's haul ass. It's one of those sayings that we... You know, like, I guess I always refer to, you know, through a group of mates, we always say that if we're going somewhere, it's just, it's just yeah. sticks in your whole, you know, like, a, I guess your vocabulary for the rest of your life. But um, she's another great character. Interesting enough, like, unfortunately, Madge, she actually passed away a few years ago, but she was actually the voice of Simba's mother in the movie The Lion King as yeah, well. Right. It's amazing the careers these people have and, you know, what they've got up to over the years and in the years since as well. I think in that scene where she rolls a truck, the very last uh, frame, and it's a helicopter shoot, isn't it? Like they shoot the film from a helicopter. There's a certain scene. Is that right? Yeah, that's the one. You actually see like a, I guess what they'd use a drone for nowadays is a scene where, yeah, it's like a, I guess, yeah, an aerial recording of it as she comes into the corner and rolls it. Yeah. So you'd want to get it right the first time, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's cinematography right there, isn't it? When they no green screen, no, only just actors in a helicopter shoot. Imagine trying to get that over the line with executives when you're trying to produce. Oh, we need a helicopter. <laughs> what? Yep. How much fuel that fucking thing uses? <laughs> but I guess at the same time, they need a fleet of trucks as well. You know, it's um great footage that. And I think also to one of the things of this movie, which probably really entrenched the CB culture into so many kids. Like, how yep. many times did you used to say to people, break one name, this is rubber duck. Like, if there was a truck going past or something like that, you have the handheld imaginary CB or the Milko yeah. CB, as we like to call it. <laughs> and it just brought a whole new lingo into people's into people's lives, I think, too. Like, really spread that whole CB culture, which, of course, was going bunter back then with um you know like the van scene and the car scene the whole cb scene to start with so yeah the funny thing about that is obviously i'm an export into queensland i've been here 13 years anyway but something the the guys do that i work with they say roger they they texture roger and copy so like oh mate can you come and pick me up from some yeah roger or copy i go out of my way not to do it so like you mean fucking yes (laughs) see if if that was me and someone did that i'd be like that's a big 10-4 good buddy (laughs) Yeah, I did. And then say, is there a bear in the air? You know, with a question mark? Like, just, yeah. Just, what's just... the thing that's on the clover leaf? There's a, oh, what's the line in the song? There's a something on the clover leaf. Oh, I can't remember. Sorry. Okay, welcome to being over 40, thong slappers. Yeah, that's a little pretty while, much it. A little while ago, I decided to go truck driving for a while. I just walked out on my bullshit career, just fucking Michael Douglas did, just threw, yeah. fuck, threw my laptop in the bin and fucking walked out. It's different, eh? It's, uh... 
everybody that drive every trucky in North Queensland that drives past another truck, you wave. So that could be sixty, could be one hundred and twenty trucks that go past you during your shift, and you wave to everyone. Yeah, that's pretty good camaraderie, though. Sure. I, I, well, uh, when I had a road bike in New South Wales, when you ride past another ride, you give a little nod. That's like, yeah, you nod, you know. It's just every bike doesn't matter. It's a Vespa or a fucking sergeant at arms on a hog or whatever. When I come to Queensland, they don't do it on bikes. I don't know what happened there, but I really enjoy every you wave to every other truckie that goes the other way, and they get on the on the you know Charlie Baker is obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's CB, and they say, oh, copy in the such and such truck, mate. Look, there's a candy car, which is a copper, or there's a hippie in a fucking backpack of Ute or whatever, or there's a cockhead in a rodeo. They take really good care of each other. You know, there's some water on the road, mate. Be careful. There's whatever. But then when they get to the DC, the distribution centre, fuck me dead, mate. All rules and politeness just go out the window because <laughs> whoever unloads first gets home first. So, like, I'm looking out the window. There's guys punching on over here. There's a guy backed his truck into another one. There's a fucking guy driving a forklift with no shirt. And I'm just going, what happened to the politeness that 20 minutes ago was so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, it's funny. God, it sounds like trying to navigate the shopping centre at Christmas time. Yeah, it's very similar. Oh, mate. But out just... on the road, it's, it's all it's all very polite and all very really look after each other. I got caught in the floods, obviously, in Ingham and Innisfail. Yeah. I had 30,000 loaves of bread on. The guy behind me had all fresh food for a big uh, supermarket chain. And uh, what the guy behind him had seafood. And we're like, well, fuck this. <laughs> this is going to make it easy. No, well, that's right. All you needed was like a 4X truck as well. Oh, sorry, oh, yeah. a 2 e truck for you. They end up, they got us into a funny thing. My boss put uh, me into a motel and he put another mate at the same company in another motel and didn't tell either of us. I know why that is. I ended up getting on the piss at Ingham. Some pro, some pro fishermen, they couldn't go out and fish. So I got on the piss with them. Mate, I had the best two days. It was so much fucking fun just because they couldn't fish. I couldn't drive or whatever. So we just ended up at the pub and fucking had a ball. And that's, that's how it should be, too. You want to make the best of every situation, hey? Yeah, they've been party around for a barbecue. I never even ate a fucking mouthful of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, just quickly, just on that Christmas shopping thing, I was going to tell you a very quick story about people's impatience and just the whole Michael Douglas thing. Shopping in Indrapilly Shopping Town last year, right, it was just crazy. And, of course, being a male, I just leave everything to the last minute, as you do. Anyway... I've done my shopping. I'm going back to the car. I've just got my orange van, you know, my Mr. Juicy van. So I've just chucked all the shit yep. in the back. And it's packed. And there's cars milling around, like sort of, you know, sharking around the place. Anyway, the next stop, I had to go to a, a pretty specific store to pick up something, right? So I had to work out where it was. So I've loaded the car. I started the car, just like letting it warm up a little bit. But the brake lights aren't on. I'm just sitting in the car with it idling. And I'm Googling on the phone the next place I need to go to, like trying to find the address. So I'm sitting in the car, I'm on the phone just Googling, Googling, trying to find it. And I can hear this like beeping, like beep, beep, beep. I'm thinking, is this one beeping me? You know, like I just sit in the back of my mind. Anyway, I freaking look out the window and there's this woman in like a Range Rover and she's giving me this look of, like she's got her arms up like, what the fuck are you doing? And I thought to myself... Okay, I didn't wave her into the car park. I was just sitting there getting ready to go to my next destination. I was like ready to go. I'd probably been sitting there for, I reckon, a minute. Like it wasn't long. It doesn't take long to, you know, Google an address. And I thought, you know what? Fuck you. So I hopped out of the car. I locked up the car, gave her the finger, and I just walked back into the shops and had a cup of tea. Like seriously, if, you know, if she'd said, hey, sorry, mate, you guys, it all been, oh, shit. No worries, I'm out of here. But the fact is they're honking the horn at me and honking and honking. It's not like I was sitting there on Facebook updating my status or doing something dumb. I was actually in the zone, you know, getting ready to go to the next shop. And it's not like I even knew she was there waiting in the first place. But the way she was, it's like if someone whistles you, honking you, and like it's like that. It just makes me splinter. Maybe you misinterpreted that. Maybe oh. that maybe that horn honk was like, "How you doing? You are in a oh. panel van, mate, with a muscle car bumper bar. Maybe oh. Oh. Range Rover, a lady in a Range Rover. Haven't you seen any? I know that you are a massive fan of VHS pornography. I've seen your collection. <laughs> that probably gets us into our next movie. You like to review as well. Sorry, yeah, just before we leave, uh, on that note of the, uh, Mr. Juicy Simon's van in the. A car park. Our very next to the sixty-foot uh, short story on Thong Slappers podcast will be a story Simon 
recently wrote about uh, car park militia. So yeah. Oh, okay. I know the one. Awesome. I look forward to hearing it. Okay. Back to uh, 1978 films. I know it's a film that's close to your heart and it's close to my heart as well. Uh, Debbie does Dallas. Bow to go wow, wow. Well, what I wanted to say about that film. And that is why. And what pornography is about itself. Very much the. And that's why today it's still known as flange. You'd have to agree with that, wouldn't you, Simon? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how the senses are going to go with that one. <laughs> it's going to be some... Hey, if you're under about 100 years old, don't listen to that. <laughs> oh, man. And that vivid description of the <laughs> DFPB. <laughs> Oh God! It's I need to have a though. I need to have a lie down and a couple of becks now. <laughs> but hey, yeah, good, you're right. Good fun. You're We're right. all above eighteen. We're all just having good fun. Yeah, she must be getting on there. Like if she's even still alive, wouldn't she? Yeah, I've got a a, a signed copy of it here. I signed it myself, but it's a. <laughs> it's, it's true, Redmond. Love Redmond. I bought it myself Christmas one year when I was single. So ah, well, you know. Well, you probably you probably pleasured yourself many times in front of that movie. You know, screaming, it's just out, a, screaming out my own name. <laughs> yeah, pinch yourself on the ass, then slapped yourself. Yeah, okay. Rightio. Hey, listen. Now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk before I get into a big cyclonic rant about 1978 panel vans. Yay! Nick, go, <laughs> yay. I love it. You're to go. You can go to the toilet. You can make yourself a sandwich. You'll have all the time in the world to do something. Is there any cars you want to talk about from 1978? Yes, uh... I've got something here that I've... 1978, by the power vested in fiction, as my disclaimer, this is what I found that you could find in a Holden showroom floor with 1978, more specific and to be more precise, which is me all over. This is what is compliance played as 1978. So maybe all these cars weren't on the showroom floor at the same time, but they're definitely 1978, late 78 models. You with me? Yeah, mate. I'm with you. So what I'm saying is for a Holden, you could get a HZ Sandman van, Perfect. A Sandman U. Sold. Just a HZ 5-litre panel van as well. You can get the HZ. Yeah. HZ Statesman Deville. Yep. You get the HZ 5-litre four-door wagon. Oh, how cool would that be? It's all at the same time, yeah. Mm. One tonner with a 5-litre. Yep. You can get the GDS four-door 5-litre Monaro. Mm. And one of your favourites, UC. You see? Yes. Oh, I can see it, especially when they put the brakes or the indicators on. <laughs> so going strictly on compliance plate is also you could get the VB 5-litre Commodore, which was actually also available in the 5-litre wagon as well. So you get the SLE 5-litre wagon if technically if that – I don't know if any were produced, but the option was there. Yeah, yeah. VB sedan, a 5-litre VB sedan. And the big thing is with uh, 78, LXA9X, have you heard of them? Oh, have heard of them, definitely, yeah. Little, little try and a coupe that when, when you let Australians build cars, they'll probably fucking produce something like that. Yeah, exactly. You could get a uh, SLR 5000 or an mm-hmm. 8000 if, if, if you're a nut job. <laughs> G'day, Howard. Yep. <laughs> uh, the Sunbird, of course. Yeah, that's just my 1978, um, my 1978 Holden cars. I was just like, yeah, imagine having yeah. that choice. You go and then now you can get a fucking Hyundai with fucking... You know, what's that yeah. shit? Wi-Fi crap. <laughs> hey, you know, you just mentioned Sunbird there. Like, as a kid, you know, sort of in the late 70s, early 80s, I was fucked with what the difference was between a Sunbird and a Tirana. Because, like, I was young enough to recognise cars, but not old enough to understand, like, the specifications and stuff like that. And I'd see a Tirana and go, oh, yeah, that's a Tirana. But then I'd see a Sunbird and go, hang on, it looks exactly like a fucking Tirana. Why is it called a Sunbird? I just didn't know why. I couldn't work it out. Then one day I said to my dad, what's the go? Why is that thing called a Sunbird when it looks like a Tirana? And he explained to me that a Sunbird was a four-cylinder version of a Tirana. I was like, oh, 
Yeah, no wonder. Thank God they didn't mix those names up. You imagine <laughs> like an SLR 5000 Sunbird or an A9X Sunbird. It just doesn't have the, the same impact as Tirana, you know? Well, the, the, the name Sunbird is interesting because for viewers, we've actually recorded a song written by Simon Major called uh, Sunbird. We'll put it up. <laughs> we'll put it up. It's called You See. But yeah, we'll put it up when this podcast comes out. Oh, there's a lot of fun recording that one, wasn't there? It was. Mm-hmm. No, that's amazing, the availability of stuff you had. And really, the cars you kind of gleaned on then were all like a five-lead option. You imagine if you just opened the books fully on any model Holden that you could buy in 1970, if you started pulling in Geminis and all the other stuff too, it just the choice would have been humongous. I did forget about the Gemini, which I do love. Mm, I know you're a fan. They Were they up to, what was it? It wasn't quite TE. It must have been TX, was it? 78? Oh, we'll have a look at that for sure. Yeah, I can't it's TD came first, wasn't it? Then TX, then TE. Or was it the other way, TX, TD? I think it was TD, TX. Anyway, yeah, so there's a lot, even with the, you know, you got the Sandpiper and all the cool Gemini options too. So definitely was a, you know, ideas are plenty for people to choose whatever they wanted. So I think you can get a TF Gemini as well, can't Or is that the front wheel drive? Is that the first front wheel drive? No, that was the, um, oh, Jesus, TF was the last of the rear-wheel drive. It's like a neatened-up TE, but they had, like, the full plastic bumpers and stuff. The, um, oh, Jesus, what was the front-wheel drive Gemini called again? RB. RB. No, RB. RB. Yep, that was the one. Really bad, RB. <laughs> Mate, if you're ready and willing, I was going to have a bit of a chat about the 1978 Australia's Top Van. Yes, please. That's what I'm here for. Okay, so the 1978, as you know, with each year, I like to discuss Australia's top van from that period, which was the van judged number one at the Australian Van Nationals of that particular year. And for 1978, it was Chris Cummings' HQ panel van called Midsummer Dream. Now, just to put this van into context for you and for probably everyone else instantly without seeing a picture... It was the van that was used in the garage scene of Mad Max where Max gets introduced to the black interceptor coupe. It's in the background. It's kind of like a, a green. It's got like a mix of greens and yellows. Um, so it's in that garage scene um, where they, yeah, where Max first hears the interceptor fire up. You know, she sucks straight nitro, that scene. So anyway, the thing with Chris Cummings, and he was... Um, he was like obviously very much a pioneer of the van scene and Midsummer Dream was actually one of the first panel vans I guess built in Australia like one of the first high-end vans that was built the thing with Chris he always liked to do things a bit differently and instead of running a normal V8 combination he actually ran a, a turbocharged 202 in this thing nice. and I mean a turbo in anything back in 1978 would have been different to start with I think he used like a Rage is it a Rage A? but Chris actually went on to build a uh, like a um, a twin turbo Windsor powered. It was like a, a kit car. I'm trying to think of the name of the actual kit. I've got photos of it here somewhere. And um, he always liked to do things a bit differently. But Midsummer Dream went through a couple of incarnations. The first one featured like a Monza front, and of course it had the full decked out uh, interior. And there's such some awesome shots of it on show with like cellophane in the side pipes and all that good stuff. But uh, that van was eventually sold on and um, it actually uh, caught on fire in the hands of a, a later owner. I don't know if it's vandalised or whatever it happened, but it got uh, a lot of it was burnt out. And a subsequent owner actually put a lot of the, the remaining parts, like the front and all that, onto another van shell. So it still survives, but it's in a pretty sad state these days. But it's kind of interesting, like um, it was one of these vans where it was in top show condition and it was stripped down for a full rebuild, you know, like to keep it fresh yeah, yeah. and new as the scene evolved. So it came back, it had a full custom steel front, like a handmade steel front and a few other, um, like, you know, handmade steel flares and all this sort of stuff. And it's interesting to think that these guys were doing stuff like this to vans that were only a few years old. So it'd be like us buying, say, a VX Commodore now and just going crazy. Like, I couldn't even afford a VX Commodore. Uh, sorry, a VF Commodore. Yeah. A VF Commodore, not a VX. I'm sure I, I could buy one of those. I was going to 
Yeah. Oh. Anyway, so yeah, the first incarnation had a Monza front. That was actually made by a gentleman called Sam Midgley. He was actually the guy behind making the Mad Max Interceptor, the Concorde front that they used on the Interceptor hardtop. Yep. But later, it's actually rebuilt and used a uh, full steel front, as I was saying. I'll post photos of this on Instagram for anyone who's interested. Another van I wanted to talk about from 1978 is actually one of my favourite vans of all time. It's in my top two. It was a van called XX308, which was built by a fellow called Stephen Ellis in uh, Melbourne. Now, Stephen was an, uh, a guy who loved his Corvettes and cars like that, and he was a massive fan of the Trans Am race series they ran in the States. Yep. And the thing with, you know, Steve's van that he built um, back then was actually based on an HJ Holden van. Like, when everybody was all about the bling and chroming this and chroming that, doing this and doing that, he actually built his to almost like a circuit racer theme where, like, say, the side pipes were blacked out, all the bumpers were blacked out. But this car had probably the best steel flares I've ever done on a panel van and probably one of my favourite panel van interiors of all time with, like, blue crushed velvet. But it was amazing. This thing had a humongous, like, a moonroof in it. And a lot of vanners from that day regard this as probably their favourite van, but also it was a really tough van. Like it had a work 308 in it, which had a, I think it was a Saginaw behind it, had a set of 1410 jelly bean wheels all around. It was low, it was tough. It was almost like a Trans Am racer version of a panel van. It was pretty cool too, and used things like... um. Again, a Monza front, which was modified to suit. So it had that real US racing uh, feel about it too. And it's sort of interesting when, you know, you, you sort of see photos of cars like this. And, and thankfully enough, that van actually still survives. It's had a lot of changes in that time. But a gentleman called Adam Black now owns the original. He's actually returning it to its first guys, which is not my personal favorite guys. We ran like a full Statesman grill and all the rest of it. But... I'm glad to see that he's taking it back to one of its 70s looks anyway. So I must have shown you photos of XX308 before, have I? Yeah, definitely. The flares, that was one thing we discussed. You showed me the flares, definitely. Yeah, no, it was definitely a cool thing. And like I said, it had a tough 308 in it and um, all the rest of it. So I knew it would be up here only in that way. But it was just such a time where people just let their imaginations run wild. There was nothing to do about restoring stuff. It was all making stuff high impact. And I think that's what gives the, a lot of these cars longevity as well and why they're so, like, remembered so fondly years later, I think, too, because of that. So, yeah, look, I'll post some photos of those vans up. They were my top picks for 1978. But... Interestingly, too, and something which you may be familiar with, do you remember the Holden, well, okay, when I say the Holden Overlander, it wasn't actually built by Holden, but it was a full-drive model you could buy from the HJ to HZ series. Are you yeah. familiar with those? Yeah. yeah I, when I was researching 78 model cars, I found that I didn't know whether to include it or not because I didn't, the theme was to walk into a showroom. So. Oh, look, most definitely, most definitely, yeah. but... Look, these overlanders are a cool thing, and a, a fellow called Arthur Haywood in Tasmania was actually the man responsible yeah. for it. Basically, he was at a bit of a crossroads. He wanted to buy a four-wheel drive, like, say, a four-wheel drive ute, but he wanted something comfortable. He didn't want a Land Cruiser, or he didn't want a Nissan Patrol. He wanted something more along the lines of, like, a... Um, you know, like a, a, an American Chevy pickup or something yeah. you'd buy like that. So he decided he'd get an HJ Holden ute and turn into full drive, right? So basically, he's, he's, the prototype was an HJ that he fitted with Dana diffs front and rear. I think it had Dana 44 in the front and maybe a Dana 60 in the back. And he put a Dana transfer case on the back of a Turbo 400. Of course, Holden's being, you know, double wishbone and coil on the front, he modified all the front chassis to fit leaf springs as well. And he ended up with basically like a power steering, air-conditioned, v8 automatic four-wheel drive ute and these things went really well as far as their capabilities go to the point in the first batch that were built up until about 1980 he built 80 of them in total um, which were 20 overlander utes 30 panel vans um, in that range like this is hj hx hz and of course the station wagons uh, were hz's only 
of which he did 24, and he built six one-tonners as well. Um, so, you know, you still see a few around as far as they're a popular thing. The Overlander Circle is a very tight-knit community, and it's great. If you get the chance to check one of these out in person, make sure you go have a look. They're a really well-engineered bit of kit, and especially, too, I mean, the, the vans in use, of course, use a perimeter frame, which was kind of a really good basis to use for um, his chassis modifications. But doing a wagon would have been a bit of a different kettle of fish. The fact they used the, like the coilover set up like a, uh, or not coilover, but they use coils on the back similar to a sedan. So they're a good thing. And I'd love to spend some time and get taken for a ride and, you know, um, check, check one out a bit further. So anyway, if anyone knows what he's got, what he can take me for a drive, let me know. I do. I do, sir. I do. <laughs> a good friend of mine and uh, Chris Coitz, Johnny Watts, Johnny Three Leg Watts, they call him for reasons that I won't mention. He's a, <laughs> he's a ranger. Him and his dad rebuilt a beautiful one, and they done it as a father son project when Johnny was awesome. a young. Mate, he's still got it, and it's just immaculate. It's I know. Let's let's talk resto. It is beautiful. He's a mechanic, John. So I mean, he doesn't talk no shit. He he was the one that originally introduced me to Chris, but um. I'll definitely get hold of him and we'll see what we can do with that. But he's got a beautiful XY with a, uh, it's still a six cylinder. Okay, the whole Overlander was done by Arthur Haywood, but the, the XY Utes were actually a factory built thing for did but actually to the point they had to actually slant the six cylinder Ford motor to clear the front end, the front diffs. Yeah. Oh, John, sorry. Yeah, I fucked that up. Johnny's got the, uh, the XY. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, the Overlanders are holding. Yeah. No, don't panic about that. I love XY four drives too, so I'll, I'll take my hand at anything. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> Diesel piece of shit fucking utes, $50,000, $80,000 fucking utes that we've got at the moment. That was I wish they had built the Commodore. Or why the fuck doesn't Japan get in bed with America? Well, we know why. <laughs> there was a bit of an argument a few years ago. We won't, we won't go into that. But for five grand, why the fuck doesn't uh, Toyota just buy six-litre Chevs from GM and whack them into these little three-ton utes? They've got these piss-weak three-litre uh, three fucking pieces of shit in them. <laughs> put a proper Chevy motor and why the fuck do people want cars that run on diesel today tell me the reason why people go to diesels oh mate having had work vehicles both petrol and diesel and doing a lot of highway work I know which I prefer like Brisbane to Rocky used to have a V6 manual Hilux full drive right the thing hauled ass if you were to overtake two B doubles in a row it just reeled it in. No, but heaps of shitloads of grunt. And then, anyway, the next one I got was a turbo diesel that they gave me. And man, you got to really have your wits about you and make sure you've got a, a, enough room to eat a sandwich while you're trying to overtake stuff. Like, okay, the, the petrol used twice as much fuel, say from Brisbane to Rocky, but it was worth it because you had grunt at your foot when you needed it. I don't know about you, but if I'm overtaking something, I want to be on the wrong side of the road for the least amount of time possible. And while you're doing that, you want to stick to all OH&S laws and not speed in this company car as well as something that I know you're passionate about, not speeding. Mate, the only reason that is, is because every time I get done for speeding, it's in a work car. You know, because of that, I'm usually overtaking something. Oh, God. You know? Fred Fred Abraham told me a funny story about a work car. He was working for a certain company and kind of was on, he was feeling like he didn't want to work there anymore. (laughs) So as you do, of course, he towed his caravan to fucking Queensland from New South Wales in his company car. <laughs> and hold on, gets a fucking photo. Like, what's him snap for cash? Yeah, speed camera. Hmm. So <laughs> he comes into the office or whatever on the Monday morning. And like, well, who the fuck owns this car? It's getting done at fucking Buller Wheeler or some fucking where. And like, he, he works in the Hunter Valley and he's like, oh, fuck, it was me. And the chick comes bail, bail in the office, goes, someone's fuel card's been used all over Queensland. He reckons he's there packing his drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Going out in a blaze of glory. Uh, and something you were mentioning about them panel vans. Mm. It's becoming clear to me, although we're very busy, mate, we need a maybe just three or four series. Or we do need a panel van only podcast. We do need to get back in and record that for the people. That Panel vans are the very start of Street Machine 101. That's where we all started. These guys were the innovators. It's very important. Somehow, in our busy lives, we need to get back in and do some panel van-only podcasts, I feel. Oh, look, I'll bore people to the point of wanting to kill themselves when I talk about panel vans, so be very careful what you wish for. Well, people, can you email us, write in, text us, whatever, let us know what you think. I honestly think that we should at least do, let's just make it like a four-series thing where we do four one-hour series, and we'll go through it all. I find it, it doesn't bore me, man. It's where we started. 
Yeah, okay. No, I'm always up for that, so it sounds good. Hey, um, did you have anything else about 1978 you want to chat about? I've got a little bit more that I yep. want to sort of get in there while we're on the truck theme as well. But, mate, before I, I get off on another rant, is there anything that you want to cover off for 1978? Yes, you might have heard of it. Uh, at the back of the Blue Mountains in a cold little town, there's a racetrack called Mount Panorama. Heard of it? Yes. Yes, I have. Well, we've heard it. For all the rest of our listeners that haven't heard of it, welcome to Earth. Um, <laughs> 1978, there was another fellow called Peter Brock. Peter Redmond Brock, I think his middle name is Redmond, isn't it? Well, it sounds appropriate, yes. Yeah. And Jim Richards won it in an A9X. Oh. That's up. Peter Brock's third win. I think it was the first year of the Hardy's Heroes, obviously the qualifying. That was the first yeah. year they'd ever run it. I remember in about 2000-ish, I'm not exactly sure, they'd done an interview with Brocky, and he was talking about the A9X, and he goes, mate, this year I could put that thing in the top 10. He goes, oh, sorry, top 20. He goes, I could qualify. In that A9X, I could still qualify for this race. Pretty amazing car. Look, most definitely, and, you know, we posted a couple of photos of that car on our Instagram some of the comments that came back regarding that, one was, I think, don't quote me on this, I think it might have been Glenn Grant or Simon Cole, one of these two guys said, when I saw that race car, I wanted to take up smoking at three. It was just the most beautiful, because of course it's had marble sponsorship. Yeah. It had the most, it was just the most beautiful, you know, finish to it. Another gentleman commented saying, that car is the best, most perfect race car ever of all classes, of all race scenes across the world. And, I, you know, I tend to agree. Like, if I could have any race car in the world, even if it meant passing up, you know, like Bugatti's worth millions of dollars, it, it'd be right there, mate. It'd be right there, for sure. Such an awesome-looking car. The last car club that I got kicked out of, one of the guys there's got a... Uh two-door LX with a 350 and it's done up like the Marlboro car, but it's got a yeah. 350 and it's just because back in the day that's somebody put in and he, she, sorry, she owns it. She's like, oh, I'm not going to pull it out. It's got the Chevy in it. Now I've, been for, I've got some video on my phone of cruising with it. Actually, it's it was pretty cool. Oh, see, that's awesome. Seeing stuff like that, especially on the street, like when we are at Beach Fest, a guy up there had an XE Falcon done as a Greens Tough uh, Dickie Johnson replica. And it was just looked, looked so awesome with all the flares and all the Group C stuff. As soon as I saw it, I was like, man, you have to get your VK done with all that stuff. It's just amazing. Like, it just snaps your neck in traffic. So The Group yeah. C, talking about Mount Panorama, did you read the editorial in the latest Street Machine? T- Telf Redbeard, he writes in there and wrote, you know, send me an email, a text or whatever. Fucking, I don't give a fuck. Send a message in a bottle. So you know what I've done? Oh, my God. Right. I can see Telf's going to be opening a box on his desk and there's going to be a bottle in there. As a message in a bottle. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I was at Baptist last year, I grabbed about 500 grams of dirt from the track and I put it in yeah. little, little bottles. Yes, thank you. You actually gave one to me, which I cherish, so thank you. So I'm, I'm sending Telf, quite literally, I read his editorial, quite literally, I'm sending, or sent, by the time this comes out, I've now sent it, a bottle of Mount Panorama dirt. If you ask for a message in a bottle, Telf, message in a bottle you get. <laughs> Remember when I sent that? Remember when I sent that garbage bag with a fart in it to Mark Mark Bernard? Yeah. <laughs> Mark, Mark Bernard's the uh, manage, general genital manager of Holden, and he killed the V8. So I farted in a sandwich bag and mailed it to him. I never know whether he got it or whether that's actually a breach of you know Australian security laws. Either way, it was a laugh. Well, you know the amount of people that could have killed, especially you having Indian the night before. It could have been a toxic problem, that's for sure. But I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your passion like no one else. Mate, just while you're talking about Bathurst and the whole racing thing, I just lastly for 1978 wanted to mention probably the coolest racing event that ever happened on our shores. It was a truck drag between Tyrone Malone and his super boss Kenworth he bought out from the States against the local Aussie hero, the waltzing Matilda Louisville, the one with the Rolls-Royce yeah. RAF bomber mode, like jet engine on the back. Do you remember those two trucks? Yes. I actually, as a kid, used to have a matchbox car of Tyrone Malone Superboss, which is like a, a white Kenworth with like red and 
Blue Stripes. He was like the full American showman, and he used to tour the states in these. You had these. He had that truck, the white Tyrone Maloon Superboss, but he also had a black one called the Bandit, and they were basically matching trucks, but just of course one's white, one's black, and you know these awesome Kenworth transporters. It's a very similar setup to the Bandag Bullet in Australia, like Frank Gaffiero's Bandag Bullet, which you'd be familiar with. It was a a white expediter truck originally that he then put a Kenworth cabin and stuff on had a um I think it was powered by two Detroit V8s maybe coupled together with quad turbos I can't remember anyway the burnout truck used to be at Summonats and stuff all the time but at Calder Park in 1978 this this race was held between the two as part of a bigger truck drags event and you know oh, just to be so awesome to have been there to see that for sure and you know, looking, in, they actually, um, Trucker Life magazine did a special issue just on that drag meet. So, I don't know, mate, if you're familiar with, with those those trucks. Yeah, definitely familiar with that. That waltzing Matilda, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, it's funny. I was just watching like, Channel 2 a few years ago, and a TV show came came on that was hosted by Peter Rosethorn. That you know the uh, guy from Kath and Kim, it was something I think it's called like How Can We Help or something like that. And a bloke wrote in saying, "Listen, I just wanted to know if you knew the whereabouts of the old Walsing Matilda Ford Louisville." And interestingly, this thing had been converted back to a prime mover, and it was in Tasmania, I think it was, being used as a, like a single drive prime mover with a, with a single or a dual axle trailer hauling hunting around. Fuck, what back to work. Put back to work, like restored, like beautifully restored. It was like painted a metallic green. Just this real, it just looked like a really tidy Louisville. Isn't it amazing? Like going from this, it was, you know, like Lee Kernigan, I think his, uh, Ray Kernigan, his dad owned it for a while and it featured on a few of his country and Western album covers. But yeah, it was actually put back to work hauling honey around Tasmania, which is pretty cool. So it still survives to this day. Yeah, but I did hear whispers that it was going to be built back into the Walsing Matilda. So it'd be interesting to see what, what happens on that front. But the um, Walsing Matilda that particular day was driven by Larry Ormsby, or the Big O, who had great success on Australian drag strips uh, in the late 60s and early 70s in an XW GDHO drag car, the Brake Service Co car. It's a car you may remember was rebuilt and featured in Street Machine a couple of years ago, fully restored. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a pretty tough thing. So, look... You know, I love trucks, of course, especially from that era. And, um, yeah, look, I'll post some photos of the, um, of I guess, all the trucks that Tyrone Malone had. He had a fleet of some of the coolest Kenworths you'll ever see. So that was definitely a great thing as well. But also, too, just sticking with that truck drag theme, in this particular article I was looking at in Custom Bands and Trucks, they show a Mac B series, like a B61 Mac, and it was yep. called the, the Mean Machine. And in its early days, this was just a single drive, single axle, uh, single drive prime mover, green thing. And the owner, Billy Gordon, uh, he put, I think it had a Detroit engine in it as well. And he started drag racing this thing like the surface truck drags. And it eventually ended up getting built up with a full body and it was full sponsorship and all the rest of it. And it's probably one of Australia's most iconic drag trucks being the Mean Machine. And recently, good mate of mine, Gary Poynton, he sent me some photos of the truck sitting in a guy's front yard down at Jacobs Creek, uh, Jacobs Well, sorry, um, sort of south of Brisbane. The truck still exists, like it's in pretty bad shape nowadays, but I think Billy Gordon still owns it, and I'll post some photos of that too. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's a very cool thing, and I love just knowing that these icons are still out there. So, yeah, it makes my day. Uh, uh, I was Googling trucks the other day, just blue circle southern cement. Obviously, I don't my apprenticeship on their their W series and T six fifty. So I just yeah. Googled, I just Google blue circle trucks or whatever, and I come up with fleet number one seventy three or one ninety three. And then when I find it, a guy's got it in Bilpin, New South Wales. But yeah. on the on the Google, I find his fucking email address. Oh, you know you know how annoying I am with this shit. So I fucking email him. <laughs> I, I get oh, you know mate, I heard you've got you've got an ex-Blue Circle, I'd done my apprenticeship, and he writes back going, yeah, mate, I've got it here in the shed. I put a tipper on it a while because it was a trix. It used to be a, a baggy drive trix trailer. Yeah, yep. Bulk powder tanker. But he goes, yeah, I don't know what to do with it. I'm kind of just kind of half thinking about restoring it. So I go into the whole restorer stand. Mate, please don't restore it. Please use it as just... So he goes, well, fuck it. You know, I might take it to a few shows as it is, whatever. And I found it in amongst 
I've never managed to collect anything. Everything I've ever fucking got in my life, I've managed to fucking lose or break. But I found an old blue circle hat. Oh, sweet. So I sent it to him. And, mate, he sent me back the most heartbreaking email a couple of weeks later. It was only recently. He writes back and said, look, I've had a bit of a change in family circumstances. I needed to sell the truck, but it's gone to a good owner. And I've gone, oh, well, can you pass him on the hat? And he's like, yeah, no worries at all, mate. So I'm just hoping that thing... Obviously, you know, I talk about not re- not everything has to be restored. I hope they don't restore it. It just retains the original. Mm. Oh, look, definitely. And, yeah, that's that's kind of one of those things. That's, I guess that's what it's, – it's all part of a heritage, like transport heritage too, whether it be a road-going thing or whether it be like a, a famous race truck in the circles or whatever the case may be. So, no, that's super cool. W Series, Kenworth. Obviously, I didn't tell you also. Tonight, I'm going to get $20 million. I've uh, entered the lotto. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so Remember, next, I'm your friend. Yeah, so next week, give us a hand. We might build a W Series. Okay. Sold. Yeah. Sold yeah. on that. If, if you're not busy. <laughs> okay, Red. Mate, it is time to announce the winner of the Thong Slappers 2018 Gen Y of the Year. We need to have a drum roll or a Thong Slapper roll. You ready? The winner is Simon Telford from Street Machine. Congratulations, Simon. <laughs> okay. Oh. The, real, the, real, the real winner is Nadine. Uh, she goes by the handle of it, Nade Cheese, on Instagram. Uh, she gives the guys a real run for money. She's got a burnout car. She's got that bell, I think she calls it, uh, HQ Yellow Coupe. She's really interactive with her. One tonner. One tonner, sorry, with her, her website. She gets in and does a lot. There's a lot of people they've entered this contest and we're going to thank all of them second place is you tell them Simon Hamish Jeppet. congratulations Hamish you've won a, uh, of course um, Nadine wins a year subscription to Street Machine Magazine and Hamish as runner up you will actually receive a year's worth of Street Machine Magazines this is some old school magazines we've chosen over the last few decades so we hope you enjoy that as well mate and uh, guys like Cliffo and Jake, a lot, of, a few of the entries, maybe the top ten, are going to all get something in the mail. So I'll get um, in contact with you guys on Instagram. Uh, we've yep. had a really good response to this, and we're going to—I mean, I've got a pile of uh, Street Machine magazines here that Chad Reed couldn't jump over. So I'm going to put together a few select ones for the guys and girls that entered, and we're going to shoot them out to you. And I hope you enjoy them, and hope that you look—if you really enjoy the magazine, give it away. If you, if, you, if you get the magazine you enjoy, give it to somebody else, spread it, you know. Yeah, definitely. Look, congratulations to Nadine. She was a worthy winner of Gen Y of the year. I tell you what, mate, she shames a lot of blokes with her knowledge of cars and her passion for cars, especially old school cars. Christ, I think you shame Redmond and I as far as your love of cars and passion goes. But just remember, we're going to have another competition we'll be announcing soon. And uh, it's probably a competition that's going to be close to a lot of your guys' and girls' hearts. So it's something we hope you'll enjoy and get behind us on. And uh, we'll announce that in our next episode of the Thong Slappers. When I seen uh, Nadine pull the engine out of a Nana's coupe, I thought that OG. You know what OG actually means? You know when they say OG? Do you know Original. what that stands for? Original. No. That's what your Nana says when she breaks a scotch finger off when she's dunking a tea. <laughs> she's like, OG. <laughs> oh. So, Redmond. Episode 14 is coming up very soon, and we're going to kick off into a year in the 1980s to be determined. So I hope uh, you've enjoyed a little bit of a chat about Convoy in 1978, and I leave 1978 with a tear in my eye. So, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you next episode. One last announcement that uh, we've left right to the last. Uh, Next, obviously, episode 14, we're going to have Chip Foose and Jeff Lutz on as special guests. Okay, I'll be sure to give him a call. No, we're not. I'm just fucking lying to make my penis feel bigger. <laughs> nice work. All right, mate. I'll chat to you next episode. Have okay, fun. Okay, cheers, Matt. Take care. Love the family. You too. See you, mate.